This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, patient safety is essential when it comes to a hospital environment, and there's been great progress with various methods being put in place to improve safety and reduce these so-called safety events. Now, for all of you out there, and to be clear about it, a safety event is a situation where the best or expected practice does not occur. And today on Ringler Radio, we're going to talk about how hospitals are reducing safety events, the next big frontier in patient safety, and the overall impact on patients' well-being. And in order to do that today, we have I have a Ringler colleague of mine joining me as my co-host, John Macker is the Senior Vice President and Head of National Marketing at Ringler Associates, where he's been a leader in the industry for the past 24 years. John, welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you, Larry. Glad to be here. Terrific. And, of course, our special guest today is Marianne Hilliard. Marianne is the Chief Risk Counsel and Vice President of Safety and Patient Experience at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. You're terrific. You know, Marianne, one of the things I think our audience would love to know is that, you know, you're also a lawyer, and prior to becoming a lawyer, you worked as a pediatric nurse and a nurse educator. You've lectured at hospitals and universities and various associations on litigation and patient safety and claims management. So you've got a broad background here. Uh, You're also the outgoing president of Ashram, which is uh, interesting because this is actually the first of a series of other medical shows about Ashram, uh, with Ashram, about the issues that uh, impact the medical community. So, Marianne, welcome to Ring the Radio. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Terrific. Well, Marianne, why don't you start by uh, telling our audience a little bit about the Children's National Medical Center and your role there as Chief Risk Counsel. Sure, we're happy to do it. Uh, Children's National is um, uh, a health system serving pediatrics in the Washington metropolitan area. So we are uh, we extend pretty deep into Maryland and Virginia, and and uh, of course are privileged to be here. Uh, in our nation's capital, where we can advocate for children and be champions for their causes, mm-hmm. uh, we are uh, we're, we're licensed uh, um, 300-bed hospital. We have a, a very busy emergency department. Uh, we have uh, outpatient clinics. We call them regional outpatient centers, where different specialty services are offered all throughout Maryland and Virginia. We also own. Um, you know, many pediatric practices in the area. And uh, in the last, about three years ago, we opened a, a second emergency room, United Medical Center, uh, in, in a, a southeast section of D.C. that was uh, uh, underserved prior to that. Our, our mission is to reach out to all these kids and mm-hmm. and uh, to take care of some of the, uh, all the children of the area, but uh, with a real special focus on, on those areas that are underserved and don't always get the pediatric services they need. Uh, we are, we're soup to nuts pediatrics. Uh, we are also considered uh, essentially the hospital of last resort. So uh, for, for the most serious and complex cases. So we, we were, we're, are where people go uh, for real cutting edge pediatric care. Terrific. 
Uh, Marianne, we're talking about how to reduce safety events. Um, let's first discuss what a safety event is and how it typically happens. You know, John, that's such a simple but important question. Um, in our organization and in many organizations like ours, uh, a, a serious safety event is, is essentially an event where a patient is harmed uh, uh, through the care that we gave. It's different than the definitions that, that the um, Joint Commission launched about, I want to say, 12 years ago now when they talk about sentinel events. And, and the real difference is around causation. Uh, the, the, in this country, uh, we have not been as uh, focused on studying all-cause harm or all events of harm uh, that, that were preventable or that we caused. And I think the reason for that and I don't think I'll get a lot of argument on this, is, is uh, the uh, tort system in America and the fear of being sued. So as a result, you see, you know, a serious event being defined as an untoward, unexpected event. Well, that really doesn't do it. What we're really, if we're really going to drive down the sorts of events that are associated with the kind of harm that patients sue you for, we have to start being serious about taking responsibility for the events that we caused or could have prevented. And, um, that's that's a it's a it's a distinguishing feature. There's a lot of hospitals out there in America that are still just measuring the events that the regulators require them to measure. Sometimes people refer to them as hospital acquired conditions or 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 never events. And well, that was a very candid response, Marianne. And and I think you know you'll often hear some plaintiff attorneys when they file litigation uh, in, in instances of of something that goes on at a hospital they often say that it's not just the individual plaintiff that they're dealing with they're trying to change the culture at the hospital or at the the very, at the entity try to help prevent this in the future so with that as as their mantra uh, why don't you provide us with a real life example of a violation of safety culture that kind of brings it home to everyone well um you know, I, I guess the first one that comes to mind are situations where a hospital will tolerate bad behavior by, uh, you know, the example you hear most is a physician who's a high producer. So if you if you have a, let's just say, a, a cardiovascular surgeon, it's hard to find that there's a dearth of those sorts of specialists out there and these people are bringing in all kinds of business. But that young lady or gentleman um, I have a pattern of acting out in the operating room where they yell at the people or they'll, I mean, I've seen cases where they throw gloves across a room or somebody will. That sounds like John um, Macker to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no cigars in the operating room. No, not a children. But the bottom line is when you, when you tolerate that kind of behavior, you create an atmosphere where people don't feel safe to speak up. Uh, our motto at Children's, we work very hard at culture. We, we really, there's, when you look at high reliability organizations, which is what we aspire to be, they've figured out that we have to go beyond process improvement. That might get you to 10 to the minus two. But if you want to get six sigma, if you want to have, you know, just a handful of events per million and, and offer a highly reliable product, you got to move beyond just process improvement to this behavioral, human factors, cultural work. So having our motto at Children's is power of one, and that's all about the power of one individual to stop a bad thing from happening. So if, if, we, can, if we can convince our workforce, kind of one person at a time, that each one of them has a voice and they can speak up when they see something that's not right, you know, and take a second to think about all the industries that have been embarrassed because they didn't know about something bad going on in there, within their 
whatever their business is. If, if you can create a workforce that feels safe to speak, you can stop some really bad things from happening. It's, it's just crazy powerful stuff. And, and all of our employees on their first day of work have to go to an orientation where they watch a, the CEO in a video say to them, I don't want you holding your tongue. You know, you have my permission. You have my permission to speak up. If you see something wrong, you're allowed to stop the line. So you're totally, you're right on point. This culture work is very rewarding and, and more importantly, very effective at driving down serious safety events. Let me, let me follow that up for a second, though, because, you know, when, when somebody says to a workforce, you can speak up, speak your mind, uh, the proof is really in the pudding when somebody does that and what the ramifications or implications of that are. Have you had situations where some of your employees have actually spoken up and, then, uh, and had the positive uh, aspects uh, come back to, to help them? Oh my gosh, yeah. We do, once a month, we do a Power of One award that's given out by the CEO at our management staff meeting. So imagine all the top managers in the organization in, in an auditorium, and the CEO, I just did it yesterday, because oh, and, 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 the CEO wasn't there, but, but usually, and now yesterday's story was a service story, because we do service and safety, and we link them together, but, mm-hmm. but very often they'll stand up there and they'll say, our Power of One award goes to, you know, Jane Doe, who works in the PICU, and she noticed that the medication sent up uh, was a different color than the one they usually saw and called down to pharmacy and realized we had the wrong concentration of whatever it was in the PICSIX. And uh, for that, we're recognizing her. There's simple things, but we, but the thing is, if you celebrate the good catches, what you do is you create, there's, there's, there's three big things that motivate workforce performance. One is uh, whether you're going to get caught if you did something wrong. One is how what your peers tolerate. And then one is kind of how we say how your, how your mama raised you, kind of what you bring into the workforce. But, but your boss can only kind of be looking at you so often. If your peers see you and see your behavior and are, feel safe to speak up if you're doing something wrong, or if you see your peers getting a, at a girl or an attaboy, for speaking up. Those are the sorts of things that change culture. You know, it's never going to be just that video and orientation. Changing culture happens. It's like any kind of habit, you know, it's like exercising or losing weight, you know, or faith. You have to kind of do it a little bit at a time every day to stay in shape. Exactly. Well, Marianne, we all know there's a lot going on with regard to hospital consolidations, mergers and acquisitions and the like. Uh, That's happening all over the country. How does all this consolidation, in your view, impact risk, especially risk to uh, the patients in your facility? Well, you know, uh, change is is a dynamic, you know, dynamic environments also create energy and the energy can be good and it can be bad. And so there's, it's one of these times where there's huge potential for both. On the, on the, um, on the upside, I'm going to start with that. I, I am seeing some real changes in the way we offer care uh, that that is focused more on the on the value that we're giving as opposed to the volume that we're collecting money on. And you're seeing more kind of team-based decision-making. You're seeing more people working at the top of their license, so better use of nurse practitioners and physician assistants. You're seeing um, better collaboration between the inpatient and the outpatient settings. And a lot of a lot of the, and I could give you specific examples, but but the big thing going on here is that the 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 new laws um, kind of push you into this accountable care organization model, where you really are offering care soup to nuts, and you're at risk for whether you've managed your cost, and so that's kind of causing us to look at healthcare more through the eyes of the patient than through the eyes of um, 
you know, how, how, what works for us as the provider. It's becoming more patient, patient centric. And if, and if we do that the right way, we'll, we'll, we'll use things like pathways that say, instead of letting every single doctor customize the way they give care, we're going to figure out the best way to do it and put the patients on a pathway. Now, that has a great potential to reduce risk because if I'm defending that doctor's behavior or performance, I'm going to be able to say, hey, look, he followed that pathway. He didn't deviate on his own special thing. I can show you that what he did or she did was normal, right? And it, and it was defensible based on the practice. Now, that's the upside. The downside is that, you know, we just talked about culture and how hard it is to change culture. Well, we're pushing a lot of hospitals are consolidating all over the place. And that means you have to merge these cultures. And and it's not always easy to feel like you're on a team where you don't know the people and you've never worked with them before. And maybe they do things a little differently. So at the micro level, culture change is very hard. And, and it's just teamwork is so vital to safety that just the very fact of the consolidation is going to create risk. Another risk area is that I think you're going to have, um, because resources are tighter, you're going to have fewer risk managers. And you, you may find, you know, the, the, the hospitals that are not effective at really kind of flipping their whole paradigm and doing things completely different may try to stay alive by just cutting corners. And that's going to be dangerous. And you know that some hospitals are going to hurt patients before the hospital itself goes out of business because in trying to survive, they may take risks that they otherwise wouldn't have taken. Yeah. And then finally, the um, uh, I, I worry about the urban, the more kind of rural, not urban, the urban's going to be fine because all the hospitals are going to consolidate around populations. But in, in areas with low populations and the more rural areas, I don't think those hospitals are going to be able to stay ho- open. And so those folks are going to have to travel. And we're going to really have to think about how do you get them the same level of care that you get somebody, you know, living here outside of Washington, D.C.? Mm-hmm. And so I think the country's going to have to deal with that risk. Oh, man. Health systems are purchasing physician practices, employing the doctors, bringing them into self-insurance and capture programs. In that scenario, there's something called the toxic tail. Can you educate us about that? Oh, my gosh. One of my favorite topics. Um, uh, happy to. I just, I just had a great... Um, opportunity to really reflect on the risks associated with toxic tail because Larry Smith um, from MedStar and then Dominic Calazo from Aon and I are presenting, and Mike Poe, who's an actuary, are uh, are presenting at Ashram and at um, the uh, Cayman Island um, Captive Conference on that topic. And the reason it's a hot topic and that, and we got accepted at those two big conferences is as follows. With all this consolidation, you're seeing a major shift, as everyone knows, in doctors being employed. I, I think that's a huge net positive I, for lots of reasons. But uh, what it, what it, it, since as we move away from the mom and pa kind of physician practice, where they're very independent and they're not standardized, they're going to have to leave their old insurance and come into this into the new insurance. And in, in many of those instances, when they leave their old practice, the act of leaving it will cause their you know, their insurance essentially to disappear. So poof, it goes away and it creates what's called a tail, which means that for all those years they worked in the practice, they no longer are insured. They were only insured while they were at the practice. So that means if a claim comes, and this is especially big in pediatrics where there's a statute of limitation that can be as long as 21 years, they don't have insurance anymore. So somebody has to say, you know, Dr. Hilliard, you've been practicing for the last 25 years. Once you move to be employed by Children's National, you don't have any coverage. You don't have any tail for that. And so 
you, you have three choices. You can either keep paying that old insurance and then you'll have two insurance, one from your hospital and one from the old carrier. But that's expensive. That can be six or seven grand a year, depending on what kind of doctor you are. And or you can um, pay it off. And, then you know, for you, $100,000, $60,000, that's a big chunk of money to pay that off. And so uh, then the other thing that can happen is the hospital that takes you on can pick up your tail. So Children's, for example, has a self-insurance trust fund. And we could say, or Dr. Macker, we're going to hire you at Children's. You have a tail. Paying it off will cost us $60,000. We're not going to pay off your tail, but you know what? We're going to put your exposure into Children's Captive or into our self-insurance trust fund. And what that means is that, if John, if you were a doctor and you got sued for something you did 10 years ago, the Children's National would defend you, even though we didn't employ you when it happened and we didn't know anything about your practice and we don't know anything about the case. So it's, it's a really... It's tricky for hospitals because they don't want to take on exposure for events that they had no control over or they knew nothing about. And um, on the other hand, nobody wants to pay $100,000 to pay these claims off. So yeah. um, it's it's not an easy situation, and it's going on all over the place. Right. But it also seems that those hospitals that are willing to do that are going to be incentivizing certain better doctors to come to them. Is that not right? Well, you said it. I mean, that you nailed it. That that's what you have to do. If if you're serious about this goes back to culture too. You if, if you're serious about hiring the right kind of doctor, what you do is you you dig into the claims history and you do some good underwriting and you figure out what's back there to be worried about. And if there's a lot of if there's a lot of baggage back there or there's some reason to be concerned about the quality of the of the performance, then maybe that's not the kind of doctor you want to hire. And if and if you don't have that, you have a you have a, a physician who has a strong reputation in the community, is given excellent service, and who who doesn't have a you know colorful claims history, um, then maybe you're going to be more willing to put that in into your into your self insurance trust fund. And then I, you know and the upside of that is you do build you do build loyalty. You know these physicians have to make this transition from being self employed to being uh, to in, you know being under the corporate umbrella and. Things like paying off their insurance and making that commitment to them can go a long way in building that relationship. So there's, you know, there's pros and cons to both sides. No question about it. Well, let's uh, take a quick break right now and be back in just a minute right here on Ringler Radio with our special guest, Marianne Hilliard, and uh, my co-host, John Mackey. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. 
Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and I'm joined today by my Ringler colleague, John Macker, and our special guest, Mary Ann Hilliard, Chief Risk Counsel and Vice President of Safety and Patient Experience at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Marianne, what's the next big frontier in patient safety? So uh, I believe in the next big frontier is going to be a, um, a shift by the whole industry into high reliability and resilience work. Uh, there's been there have been hospitals that have been leading the way. There's been about 500 of them, but it hasn't been embraced at the really at the federal level or by by the regulators. And now you're really starting to see that come out. They are. Um, uh, you're seeing more conferences that talk about high reliability. There's a lot more focus on culture. And, and really, just like uh, um, the nuclear industry before us and the aviation industry, healthcare is finally kind of waking up to the reality that, that we are a, um, we're, we're a business run by humans. We're about human performance. And, and if you want to get human performance right, you have to focus on behavior and culture. So it's exciting. It's going to be great. Marianne, are you seeing progress when it comes to patient safety, children? Yeah, we we published um, last year in the the journal for the American Society of Healthcare Risk Management on on our success with um, the use of high reliability work, and we've been doing it really since about 2007, where we've been measuring it with a, a metric that's being used at a national level, and uh, since that time we've seen a greater than 80% reduction in our total number of serious safety events. Uh, we believe that um, that translates into, um, you know, literally over 50 children who were, were not seriously harmed or even died under our care. And uh, as it relates to litigation, we believe we've saved over $50 million. And, um, and when we go to the excess insurance markets to buy, to buy insurance, um, it's it's a, it's always a, a point of discussion, and I think, as I said earlier, I think that enough time has passed that instead of just looking forward into what high reliability can do, you're starting to be able to look out your rearview mirror and see, holy cow, some of these organizations are really seeing lives saved and uh, litigation and claims experience go down. And and importantly, um, the the focus that uh, and the focus that's going on the quality movement is so important and so on point and wonderful and beautifully complementary to this work, but it's not the sort of change that's really going to be associated with major changes in litigation because the stuff that, that we're working on with high reliability has more to do with the serious safety events that we could have prevented as opposed to just the never events or those, those more narrow categories of um, safety and quality events that, that we're asked to look at under a regulatory schema. No question, but you know, at, at Children's National, you're trying to protect all the children that come into uh, your environment. For They all come there needing help, and, and obviously you're there to provide it. Yes, the the threat of some of that litigation and the, and the safety events are there, but tell us about what, you've, what you're doing for the children that come to see you uh, every day. Uh, how have these patients, these young people, benefited overall from uh, what you've been doing there at, at Children's National? Well, I think, you know, what you hope is that you've improved the overall experience. Uh, when a patient comes to a hospital, they want to be they want to be cured, right? But but fundamentally, even before that, they don't want to be hurt. And so our mantra is, and and we're not the only hospital who follow this mantra. And, and uh, uh, we worked with a company called Healthcare Performance Improvement, and and they led us and uh, uh, they helped us with our journey. 
but our mantra is, uh, don't hurt me, heal me, be nice to me in that order. And if you think about it, if you're on, if you're a consumer and you're on an airplane, you're flying somewhere, you want to arrive on time and you'd like to have a cold drink maybe while you're, while you're flying. Uh, but more than anything, you want to stay in the sky and you want to arrive, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and all jokes aside, our, our culture in healthcare has to, we have to look at things that way. We can't just be about, um, we can't just focus on, on great service or great quality. We have to make sure that fundamentally safety is a, is a, is a core value and it goes to kind of who we are. Terrific. Marianne, how are you spreading the word through the medical field about the importance of safety? Well, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of focus on safety. Uh, it's, it's, since the Institute of Medicine report came out, really now it's been almost 13 years, um, and and it became widely known that more people die in hospitals than on highways because of mistakes. There's been a lot of focus on it. It's been slow going, though, to be honest. Uh, you know, when when somebody when an airplane goes down and 150 people die at once, we all see it. But the deaths in healthcare happen one at a time across 6,000 hospitals. So people don't always appreciate how how unsafe it is, and and frankly. They don't want to know. You know, when you're sick, you want to you want to hope and believe that your hospital is a, is a nice, safe place for you to go. So the discussion has been, interestingly, a lot more kind of internal within the industry than external with the community. We're not running after them, telling them they should be scared to go to their local hospital. And so, um, a lot of the of the work and a lot of our safety work happens through conferences and publications and and like what you guys are doing is really good. This is these radio programs that will reach out to so many different people into a diverse audience will all get us in the same place. The other thing that's really different today that makes a big impact as it relates to the sorts of things I think your audience wants to know about is is how you is risk mitigation through doing the right thing. Uh, our our uh, core value and our, our mantra, I should say, in our risk management program at Children's National is, is you do the right thing after you've done the wrong thing. And it sounds so simple, but it's crazy powerful. So, so for example, our organization did publish on reduction in serious safety events, and a lot of places aren't talking about it. We, we brought in the Department of Health and in D.C., and we partnered with them. We said, hey, this is, these are our rates of injury. This is what we're doing about it. And instead of kind of, of course, they, they need to be involved, and there are regulators, but they supported our work. Now, how can we be so transparent? You know, how, are, how is it that the lawyer of the hospital is saying that you can be this transparent? Well, here's what it boils down to. When you tell the family the truth after you've made a mistake, um, it's, it's, you, and you treat them you treat them with respect and you own what you've done wrong. It's the best risk mitigation strategy out there. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean the family's not going to sue you or anything, but you're able to sit with their attorney and speak respectfully about what happened and what you can do to help them heal. And one of the things I've seen over the years is where we've missed that opportunity because we didn't know, or for some other reason, we weren't able to kind of get in there right away and tell the truth um, it's a lot harder to settle these cases because people are so angry with you. But when you kind of own it from the beginning, uh, you're in a much better place to help everybody heal. Now, the trick with owning it from the beginning is you have to have you have to have a core team of risk managers and and you know physician leaders who can get in there and investigate and and make sh- and do all those things that sometimes can take 18 months in litigation. You have to do it really fast and you have to do it effectively so that you can get the family answers in a reasonable amount of time because they're entitled to those answers. But, it, but sometimes if you, don't, if you don't have a process for doing that, 
you could you could you know picture a nurse rushing in and pulling the curtain and saying you know nobody else is going to tell you but I'll tell you what happened you know you yeah. create when you're not truthful with the family and you don't have a hardwired program you create that that kind of one off kind of communication so what we do is we teach our nurses hey team we always tell the family the truth now we do have to look into the case and we need to make sure we know what happened in fairness to everybody involved but it's okay to say to them you know, I've been working at Children's a while, and I can tell you, they, they'll tell you what happened. They need to look into it. They're going to meet with you next Wednesday, um, but they'll tell you what happened. Right now, we're going to focus on taking care of Johnny. If you empower your staff to talk that way, then you can get the time you need to do the investigation and then to sit down with the family, and, and then your, your whole team speaks with one voice on what happened. Once you've done that and you've told the family the truth, then you're really able to study these events because you're not afraid. You know, you've already told the family. You're not hiding anything. And then you can really focus on driving down the harm. So the old day of the risk manager saying, don't talk, sweep it under the rug, don't create evidence, that's all gone away. The more modern risk manager is, is all about prevention and mitigation and correction. No question. And, uh, you know, for folks like John and I who deal in this business all the time, we, and we see it so many times at, uh, at these trials and, and mediations, Nothing aggravates the claim more than uh, than arrogance and ego and cover up and those kinds of things. So, so taking those elements away, as you as you've so well done at at your facility, is re- really what it's all about. That's where the change comes. If you can get the trust of the uh, of the patients, uh, you're halfway home. Before we uh, close, Marianne, uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about Ashram uh, as you step down as as the president? Some of our audience may not be as familiar with Ashram and its role in the, in all of this. Why don't you talk a little about that? Sure, happy to do it. Um, Ashram is the American Society of Healthcare Risk Management. We have um, uh, about five thousand members. We represent the risk management industry in America, and uh, so that means we're more than just risk managers. We're doctors and nurses and claims people and attorneys, and we're a nice, big, diverse group of people. We have. Um, we have our origins uh, in uh, really kind of where risk management was with healthcare, where we started out being just about litigation and insurance and have evolved to this place where we're, we're really about, um, as I said, prevention, detection, correction, kind of managing risk in a, in a more enterprise-wide way. Um, we are um, a personal membership group under the American Hospital Association, so we're associated with those folks. And our, um, we just did new strategic planning. The big, the big change or kind of shift in, in risk management is going to be towards enterprise risk management so that instead of risk management being kind of just focused on um, a general and professional liability, we're, we're looking at using the risk management process more broadly in the industry. So using it for finance or human resources or, or any area of the hospital that may drive risk and and, and actually building competency outside the risk management office in, in actually using the risk management process to reduce risk and increase um, uh, p- potentiality of, of, you know, different strategies or approaches. And again, it kind of goes to, for so long in healthcare, we've been command and control and everything's been in a silo. We're really trying to move towards more swim lanes, you know, where, where yeah. things go across the different parts of the organization. And as a result, that diversity in, in risk management and in teamwork, uh, we believe, will produce better results. Well, that's terrific. It sounds like Ashram's going to miss you as their leader, Marianne, but, uh, ah. that's, <laughs> but that's, a terrific organiza- that's a terrific organization. I'm sure you're, uh, as we all do when we have leadership positions at the end of that, uh, at the end of that time frame, uh, 
we get our lives back a little bit too. So I, I wish you well with that. So uh, Marianne, before we leave, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and talk to you about any of this, how would they do that? I'm always happy to take those kinds of calls. Um, they can uh, they can email me mm-hmm. at um, uh, and they can get my email information. I think on the Ashram website, but I'm also happy to share it. It's it's M Hillier without the D, so M H I L L I A R at C N M C. That's the acronym for Children's National Medical Center. dot org. Terrific. And uh, John, how about yourself? If someone want to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, best way is my email address, jmacher, M-A-C-H-I-R, at ringlerassociates.com. Well, that's terrific. And for all of you out there, you know you can reach any Ringler Associates on ringlerassociates.com or ringlerradio.com or legaltalknetwork.com. Or, of course, you can go to iTunes and download it and listen uh, in your little earbuds as you walk around the park. Uh, it's often uh, something that I know, John, you do quite often. So for Absolutely. The, yeah, absolutely. So, Marianne, thank you again for, for joining us today. My pleasure. And, John, thanks for being a great co-host. My pleasure, Larry. See you soon. And for the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, Visit ringlerassociates.com today.